Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those comments and questions answered, so we gather up those tip questions and we address them here on companion videos and it is saturday that we are recording this video i hope you guys are already having a fantastic weekend i know i am you know now that us and most of our friends are all vaccinated we're actually having finally our little housewarming party tomorrow not a huge one not a huge one we only invited like 15 20 30 people at most but we're having a little housewarming party tomorrow, even though we moved in like in February. But of course, the pandemic and everything. But now that us and all of our friends are vaccinated, time to have a little bit of a housewarming party. And I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, guys, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend planned ahead. But right now, we've got some questions to get some caught up on. So let's get over to it and start addressing those right now. By the way, I just want to let you know that if you guys want to send in a live comment or question, you don't have to wait until the show starts. You can send one in any time by simply going to the tip link that's down in the description of this video and clicking on it there. Or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show. If it's appropriate for the show, we'll use it. And of course, most importantly, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, now let's get on over and start taking those questions that came in, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Aventium, who writes in, describing a movie accurately but poorly. A government agent chases down members of an insurrectionist group who are planning an attack that could kill thousands. Sarwa rats. Uh, guys, please never send in acronyms because I don't want to have to take the time to try to figure them out. Um, that's a little too vague. Aventium, that one's a little too vague. Like, I like these games, but it's normally when you get like six or seven points that could mean one of three or four or five movies. This one's a little bit too general, so I'm not even sure I could take a guess. But if you guys watching have a guess at it, jump down into the comments section and let Aventium know which movie you think he's talking about. All right, next up, we've got uh, Jason, in, uh, Jason in Prescott writes, Hey, John and Rob, obviously Rob's not here today, saw Spiral and it was terrible. Yeah, I'm hearing that a lot, unfortunately. Some interesting traps, but the rest is horrifically bad. Did you see it? And what are your thoughts? I love all you do for the movie community. Thanks and bring on the filthy PS. Zevia Cola, sponsor him, you sons of bitches. Damn right. Listen, here's the thing, Jason. You know, somebody else wrote in and asked me about this. I was very interested in Spiral. First of all, just Chris Rock doing a Saw movie? Sign me up. That sounds great. That sounds completely different and weird, and I loved it. I like the trailers, but I didn't get out to see it immediately, like the, the first day that it was available to us. I didn't see it. And so a number of people I know saw it, and they were all like, ooh, this movie's bad. And I'm like, really? So I didn't see it the next day, and then I heard from more people who saw it, and they you know what? I can't think of a single person I know that liked the movie. And they were all saying to me, oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And that took all the wind out of my sails. My enthusiasm sails were now dead. Flaccid, if you will. 
They were flaccid. My enthusiasm for Spiral went flaccid once I started hearing from all these people that I know that they all saw it and they all didn't like it. And I thought, you know what? I was so excited to see it. I don't want to break my own heart by watching it. So I just never went back to watch it. So, I mean, I'll watch it one of these days for sure because I still think it's interesting that Chris Rock did it. But, yep, Jason, I still have not seen it myself. All right, next one up. The Sock writes, Finish Kingdom Come, uh, need to finish Watchmen, need to start Red Sun, and got Injustice Ground Zero Volumes 1 and 2 as late birthday present. I'm going to try Nemesis this weekend. Those, that's a really good reading list you got there, Sock. Uh, got a lot of reading material to get started on. May I suggest one more that I've talked about a little bit, but I've never heard other people do it? Hold on a second. Uh, let me see if I can bring it up here. There is a comic book was never very popular that it was out a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still running or not as a matter. I don't think it probably is still running, but anyway, the name of the comic is called Daymen. All right. It's called Daymen. And basically what it's about, it's about vampires, but you know, vampires can't go out in the sunlight, right? So all the different vampire clans, have what are called daymen. They're human beings who work for the vampires who take care of the vampire business during the daytime, right? Hence the term daymen. And I thought it was great. I really, I really thought this thing, I thought the story of this was wonderful. So if you get a chance to add a few more things to your reading list, uh, I would I, I would strongly suggest giving Daymen a shot because I think you might enjoy it. And uh, I just want to spread a little bit of Daymen love around. So there's that too. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Sock. And you got a really good reading list ahead of you. Okay. Vogue writes, Hey, John, watched my first movie at the cinema, Quiet Place 2. I liked it, but not as much as the first. I'm disappointed with my local mask wearing not being enforced. And should a new COVID hotspot happen to be found in a cinema, all the other chains working hard to maintain the, an environment, um, you could tell the staff, you, you couldn't tell the staff off as they were only kids but it was worrying we want to see movie experiences back in the cinema i will probably write to complain to the complaints department one bad cinema could be terrible for others who are trying and yeah listen it's it is frustrating when other people are trying to do the right thing and then a few idiots ruin it for the people to try and do the right thing because you're right all it's going to take because listen, I've said for a long time, I am comfortable going into the movie theater if it's got some pretty strict and good safety guidelines. Mask wearing, space out social distancing on the thing, make sure you have your cleaning protocol down, all that kind of stuff. I've always said, as long as they're doing that, I personally feel comfortable going into the movie theaters. And this was even before everybody started getting vaccinated. I mean, this has been for a while. And if you have not felt the same way, I respect that. I'm just saying for me, I've always felt good about that. But you know, one of the big arguments for getting the theaters back open was the fact that there's been nothing, there's been no evidence to show that any sort of hotspot ever started at a movie theater. And all it would take is for, you know, the CDC or somebody to find, oh crap, we just found these 50 cases of COVID and they were all at that movie theater. And then that's going to give a bad name to all the other movie theaters. Now, look, the good news is we are starting to get the pandemic, at least where we live in North America. We are starting to get the pandemic in our rearview mirror. 
more and more people are being immunized. Uh, we're seeing, you know, statewide numbers dropping consistently. It's all good news. And so it, it's probably not as dangerous right now. But listen, until they lift all those mandates, I, I would like to see the theaters continue to practice good common sense safety protocols until, you know, the doctors say, you know what, all clear. And hopefully that day is coming sooner rather than later. But I would like to see them maintaining those protocols until we're told it's not necessary anymore. But that's just my take on it. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Vogue. All right, next up, Ryan G. writes, Hey, John, uh, which movie, 1994, which movie, 1994 movie, which, as in the evil Wicked Witch of the West, which movie, 1994 movie, should I watch? And don't say Lion King because I've seen it too many times. Plus, it's a great movie. Everybody uh, will choose Lion King. Give me another movie to recommend. Dude, like, do, do I look like a calendar? Do I look like, do I look, first of all, do I look like Scott Mance? Do I look like Scott Mance to you? I don't walk around with an encyclopedia. I'm not a movie dates guy. I don't know what movies came out. Look, here's a couple of movies I know that came out in 1994, all right? So the one I would recommend, because it's my all-time favorite action movie, my number one all-time favorite action movie came out in 1994, True Lies. So that's the one I'm going to recommend. Now, I believe Schindler's List came out in 94. So that's like an all-time great. So you should probably check out Schindler's List. Um, you might never want to watch it again because, I mean, I, I can't watch Schindler's List again. It's brilliant. It's beyond brilliant, but it's so troubling. It, and oh, I, I just, I can't watch it again, even though it's brilliant. And um, if you want to go funny, I know Dumb and, I, I think Dumb and Dumber came out in 1994, but I I couldn't tell you any other movie that came out in 1994. I know Scott Mance could tell you that because he knows movie dates like this. I'm not a movie dates guy. I just don't know. But those are my best recommendations, man. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Clark Campia writes, I uh, just watched the latest episode of Superman and Lois, and I, and I still haven't seen the newest episode, just so you know. Um, and I have to say, as a grown-ass man, I got all the feels in this episode, truly emotional, and the actress that plays Lois was awesome in the episode. Have you seen it? And what, if so, what do you think? No, haven't seen the newest episode yet. I have been a little busy the last couple of days doing two things. Number one, with Anne getting caught up on, well, there's three things. With Anne getting caught up on Handmaid's Tale. Second, with Anne watching Lucifer Season 5B. And then three, I finally got hooked on Warrior. Oh, my God. I binged all of Warrior, all two seasons in three days. All two seasons in three days. I can't believe how good this is. I'm actually, quite frankly, honestly, guys, if we're going to be real here, quite frankly, I'm a little pissed off at all of you. At all of you ungrateful suckers how come you guys waste so much time telling me oh john watch this marvel animated straight to home video piece of shit or john watch this dc animated straight to home video piece of shit but none of you told me to watch warrior this movie is this show i should say is effing awesome it's so good and i'm so mad at so many of you for not making me watch it sooner but no in all seriousness though this warrior show is unbelievable so good. It's, it's, I think the best martial arts, uh, kind of focus centric, uh, you know, show I've seen. 
I mean, there was Into the Badlands. Into the Badlands was great. Let me just, I, I, was it was it called Badlands or was it called Into the Badlands? I think it was called Into the Badlands. Hold on a second. Into the Badlands. I think that was the name of the show. Yes, it was Into the Badlands. Into the Badlands was really good. Like Daniel Wu was in that. I, I really liked it. It was quite good. Uh, Nick Frost was in it too. And I really enjoyed it. But Warrior is like on another level. So anyway, because I've been so wrapped up in getting caught up on a couple of episodes of Handmaids, then having to get through all of Lucifer season 5B, and then just blowing through all of Warrior, I have not had a chance to watch the latest episode of Superman and Lois. I am really enjoying the show. I'm really enjoying it. But I have not been able to see an episode 8 yet. So hopefully I'll get caught up here pretty soon. Thanks for that, Clark. All right. Uh, Michael H. Jones writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, Michael, for supporting the channel on that level, man. John, I agree with your list, except for Suicide Squad. It's opening on HBO Max the same day as the theater, and it's R-rated, 35% chance, yes. Now, for those of you who may not remember, a couple of days ago, we did a list of, you know, which movies I think have a chance coming out in 2021 that have a chance at making a billion dollars? And then what percentage of chances do I give them? I gave Suicide Squad a 35% chance, which means it's unlikely. 35 is still small, but it means it's unlikely. But still, I gave it a full, solid 35% chance that I think it'll make a billion dollars, which, of course, obviously means I think it has a 65% chance of not making a billion dollars. But, and yes, you're right. That it's also coming out on HBO Max, so some people are going to have the option of watching it at home. But you also mentioned the R rating. Here's the catch. The people most likely to watch something at home, I mean, I've, many people will just watch at home anyway. But the, those most likely to just watch at home are the ones who are going to sit down with the kids and watch it. Like a Ryan and the Last Dragon or a Cruella right? An R-rated Suicide Squad one, that's, that's not the one, I, I think there are some families that will, but there's also a lot of families that won't pop that one on, right? So that the, the parents, the adults, the grown-ups that want to see a good movie, they're going to go to the theater and see it. Not everybody, obviously. But here's the key. Godzilla vs. Kong also came out on HBO Max, and it made over $400 million at the box office. Godzilla vs. Kong made over, I believe it was four, $436 million. I think that was the number, $436 million at the box office while also opening on HBO Max. Now, the previous movie in that franchise that came out, Godzilla King of the Monsters, with no pandemic, only made 300 and something million dollars. So if Godzilla versus Kong can do better than its previous film, while also debuting on HBO Max, then why can't Suicide Squad do as good or better than the previous Suicide Squad, even though it's opening on HBO Max? I'm just saying, if Godzilla vs. Kong can make $436 million, why can't Suicide Squad potentially, even if it's a, it's a small chance, potentially make a billion? I mean, the last Suicide Squad movie made, what, seven, $800 million? The last Godzilla movie made 300 and something and Godzilla versus Kong made 436. Look, I'm not obviously by only putting a number at 35%, I'm not saying Suicide Squad will, but you have to look at all the information, look at all the data. 
And I think when you look at all the data, like, listen, if HBO, if, if Suicide Squad was not also debuting on HBO Max, I would have set the percentage chance of this Suicide Squad making a billion dollars probably at 55% instead of 35%. But I knocked off that extra 20% because of HBO. But even then, if Godzilla versus Kong can make over 400, Suicide Squad, which is going to make more money than Godzilla versus Kong, I think has the chance. Now, again, Suicide Squad may may make 400 million. It may make 700 million. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, I think there is a, 35% 35% chance that it hits the billion mark. 65% chance that it doesn't, but 35% that it does. So, yes, you are right about that, Clark. But, I mean, I think if you take all the information in there, particularly with an R-rated movie, that's the one that most families are going to rent at home are the PG and whatever. And if it's an R-rated one, they're less likely to do that. So the Godzilla versus Kong results, all that kind of stuff, I'm sticking with 35%, which means... I don't think it will make a billion. I mean, I have to at least set it at 60 or more for me to be saying I think it will, but at 35% is probably not, but it's got a chance. I think it's got a chance. All right, next up, Michael H. Jones. Oh, no, that was Michael H. Jones. Sorry about that. Okay, Ryan Loner writes, one of two. One bit of trivia that occurred to me while binging The Muppet Show. Who are the only parent and child to both be on the show? The answer, Edgar and Candace Bergden. I never would have known that. Uh, Edgar was one of Henson's greatest influences. I knew that. And Candace probably got on the show largely due to being his daughter. She just started to get into acting with The Wind and the Lion. You know what the funny thing about that is? It's one of those scenarios where you have a a, a parent-child acting family. And it's not often, but it ha- it does happen. Candace Burton probably went on to have the bigger career. And I don't know that that happens often. I think normally the parent, you know, you have a superstar parent and then, you know, one of the children will go on to have a good career or something like that, but can't quite get to the pinnacle of the parent. But, you know, Michael Douglas, huge movie star, Oscar winner. I love the guy. He's great. But did he ever get to that? godlike pinnacle of Kirk Douglas, his dad. I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, they both had incredible careers, but it's kind of funny when you think of it that way. Anyway, I never knew that little bit of trivia, Ryan. Thanks for sharing it. All right. Next up, Boris writes, Hey, John. Good Girls was a show where I started watching it randomly, got hooked, binged the first season and adored it, then totally forgot about it and never went back to watch season two. But now that Aaron, our own Aaron Cummings, now that Aaron is going to be on it, I shall return to it. Uh, with some, yes. And now I want to ask, are there any shows you loved and for whatever reason just never made the time to return to it for a new season? Also, the musical episode was great of... Good Girls, the MJ crossover. I don't know what MJ is. Uh, The MJ cross. Oh, the MJ cover. I'm guessing you mean Michael Jackson. Oh, you're talking about Lucifer. Had me grinning ear to ear. Lucifer's awareness was hilarious. Also, I love that episode. The musical episode of Lucifer in season 5B, I thought was great. At first, when it started, they started doing it with another one bites the dust. And when it started, I thought, oh, this is a little corny. But I pretty quickly really got into it and started to really like it. Um. As far and yes, of course, our own Aaron Cummings is now a recurring character on the NBC show Good Girls. Uh, so I think, believe that's Christina Hendricks and uh, and uh, uh, Parks and Recreation's Rita. So or Retta, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name. Maybe it's Retta. Anyway, uh, so make sure you watch Aaron Cummings on that show. As far as shows that I watched 
and liked, but then never just picked back up on it. The one that really stands out to me, although I did watch more than one season, but was Better Call Saul. I watched a few seasons of Better Call Saul, and then I just never went back to it. And it's not because I tapped out on it. I didn't. I liked it. I just never went back to it. And I don't know why. I need to finish that show off. I need to finish off Better Call Saul. So that's one that stands out to me, man. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Boris. Next up. What? Right. Uh, did you seriously just make an Ezra Miller joke about him choking a woman on your show Thursday, June the 3rd, 2021? Yes, I did. And I am not going to apologize for mocking a dude who chokes women. And if you do, that's your issue and you deal with that. But, you know, the moron laid hands on a woman. A real man doesn't do that. Uh, so, no. If, and guess what? If that turns you off my show, go away, little one. Go away. Because I will probably mock. Listen, I, I like Ezra Miller. I do. But he also acted like an asshole. And I will continue to mock what he did. And if you're not comfortable with that, I don't care. Anyway, so if you're cool with men choking women, that's good on you. I'm, I'm sure your family's very proud of you. But mm, anyway, let's move on. Uh, next up, Skylar Hillman writes, Hey, John, no specific entertainment question or comment today, but I wanted to say thank you for creating this show and doing it daily. It is our pleasure, man. Thanks for that. Uh, I was laid off work. Dude, I'm so sorry to hear about it. I mean, this, the damn, we are still dealing with the ramifications of the damn pandemic. So I, I really sorry to hear that, man. Uh, I was laid off work recently and this show helps distract me from the problems of life. Blessings. Well, listen, it's good to have you here, Skylar. And listen, that is one of the great things about movies. We talk about it all the time and it remains to be true to this day. One of the great things about movies and the fan community that surrounds them that we're all a part of is that not only does it give you, I mean, everybody says movies are just an escape, but they're more than that. Yeah, we, it does allow us, it affords us a little bit of time that we can escape from maybe a lot of the crap that we're dealing with in our real lives, but it's more than just an escape. I, I like to use the phrase, it's an oasis, right? When you go to an oasis, you're not just taking a break from being thirsty. You're replenishing yourself. You're becoming rested. You're rejuvenating yourself. And then when you leave the oasis, the desert is still there. But now you're rejuvenated, you're refreshed, you've got a different mindset, you're a little bit more ready to go. And I have found that for me with movies my whole life. I can be dealing with a lot of crap in my life. And a good movie that allows me to be lost in it for a little while, to spark my imagination, to maybe challenge and adjust my perspective a little bit. Not only did it give me a break from my real world problems, it allowed me to come back into my real life a little bit more rejuvenated, a little bit more refreshed, maybe a little bit of a different perspective on the world and a little bit of a different perspective on my problems and maybe just a little bit more able to deal with the stuff going on in my life. That's what I love about movies and the fan community that surrounds them. Because the same thing happens to me when I get to just call a friend up on the phone and just we're talking. We'll just talk about Lord of the Rings, right? Lord of the Rings will just come up. We'll talk about Godfather and just get lost in those conversations about that. And the same thing happens. And I'm glad that the movies and these stories and us fellow fans can be that for you too, man. So thanks for sharing that. And here's hoping for good things for you moving forward and that you uh, get, you're able to get back to work as soon as you can. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Skylar. And it's great to have you here, man. All right. Next up. James Lee writes, 
For upcoming Black Widow, everyone is wondering who Taskmaster is behind the mask. Well, they're kind of making us wonder a little bit. However, is this even a relevant question at all? Probably not. Uh, if not an established MCU character, isn't it just another new character? Is it Mephisto or Reed Richards? Just kidding your thoughts. No, I agree. Listen, there, the who the Taskmaster is is obviously going to be a bit of a mystery. That doesn't mean... It's going to be a huge reveal. Oh my God, Taskmaster was Thanos all along. Or if it was somebody all along, it was Agatha. It was Agatha all along. Agatha was Taskmaster. Before the events of WandaVision, Agatha was over there fighting Black Widow and her family. It's Agatha. No, there. it's a mystery. But just because there's a mystery doesn't mean it's going to be, oh my God, it's Charles Xavier. Taskmaster is Professor X. It's Wolverine. It's Mephisto. No, it just means it is a mystery. But it doesn't mean it's going to be an A-list comic character that we already know. It's a mystery. And it could be a big person, a small person, whatever, a brand new character, a brand new person. The key is for this story, the identity of Taskmaster needs to be a mystery. What we as fans need to not do is now get ahead of it and say, well, obviously it's going to be Tony Stark for a little while was Taskmaster before he died. It doesn't need to be that. So it's probably going to be somebody small. I don't know that. I mean, maybe it is somebody big, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's part of the mystery of the movie. And we only ruin it for ourselves when we think the answer to any mystery has to be some huge reveal, some huge blockbuster character that we already know, right? So we'll see as we go into it. I hope the movie's good. I hope the movie's good. That's all, I, that's all I'm hoping for. All right, next up. Uh, Andy Hong writes, Hey, John, have you seen the latest episode of Superman and Lois? No, like I said, I've been watching uh, Handmaids, Lucifer Season 5B, and watching two full seasons of uh, Warrior in the last few days. So no, I've not seen it yet. Uh, anyway, uh, you start going into details, Andy, and I don't want to read them. Uh, sorry about that. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. I, I just, I don't want to spoil it for myself. So I don't want to, I just can't read what you're writing. So my apologies. When I do see Superman, uh, the newest episode of Lois, I, I will definitely Superman Lois. I will definitely give my thoughts on it though. Anyway, Andy also writes in. I liked how Lucifer season 5B managed to pack in two important primordial celestial beings that have been there before the dawn of time. God and Chuck. Yes, of course, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, one of the, I think it was a Russian mobster, anyway, was the, the actor who plays Chuck, a.k.a. God, in Supernatural. It was very cool to see him in there. God and Chuck. The best moment in the season was surprisingly when God uh, and Trixie um, uh, were having a discussion. Dude, that was beautiful. That scene when God and Trixie are just sitting there in the subway station. Mm. For those of you who know, Trixie is this little girl character. She's the detective's daughter in it, and she's adorable. Absolutely adorable little actress. Anyway, that was beautiful. It was a wonderful... Now, it's not my favorite scene of season 5B. There was a number of other really good ones, but I'm absolutely with you, Andy. That scene was, was really nice and just... You know, obviously Trixie doesn't know that Dennis Haysbert is God, but we know he's God. And this beautiful little interaction he's having with this child, I loved it. I thought it was very sweet, very tender, uh, and I thought it was great. And I'm glad you brought it up. Thanks a lot for that, Andy. Okay, next up, we've got Man from Manila who writes, Hey, John, 
Just sharing, maybe you'll be interested. There's an anime to be released on Netflix based on a Filipino comics titled Trice, a six-episode series to premiere June 10th. Main character is voiced by Filipino-Canadian Shay Mitchell. My wife loves Shay Mitchell. Oh, my God, my wife loves Shay Mitchell. Uh, crossing fingers, it's good. Yeah, so Shay Mitchell was one of the stars of um, that TV show Pretty Little Liars. You remember that? I produced an after show with that, that I had um, uh, Ashley Mova and Sinead DeFries, uh were in that, and they were great on that. Um, anyway, so uh, Shay Mitchell is uh, a, a Fil Filipino-Canadian actress, um, and my wife, I don't know why. I mean, she's great. She's great, but my wife is, like, obsessed with her. Like she follows all of her social media accounts. I think she mostly follows her because she loves her. Uh, uh, she loves that her hair. I don't. I think that's it. But anyway, my wife will follow all of Shane Mitchell's um, uh, social media stuff, and she she loves her and all. And then I think Shane Mitchell was in that movie. What was it called? You or that Netflix series? You or me? It was kind of a Dexter series that was just out recently. Anyway, uh, Shane Mitchell was in it for a bit. I think. Anyway. So, yeah, my wife. So, if my wife knows this, a Filipino show with Shay Mitchell doing a voice in it, my wife, Anne, will probably be all about it. My wife will be all about it. By the way, can I throw this out there quickly? I put this on Twitter earlier, but apparently Marvel Comics is having a new Filipino-American girl taking up the, the Captain America shield. <laughs> Um, and this is a true story. Uh, th this is actually happening. You can go look at the news. They're, the newest hero to take up the ca Cap Shield, the Captain America Shield, is going to be this Filipino-American girl. And I was looking at the images. And tell me that that's not – they didn't completely base this character on Anne Campia. Tell me they did not completely base this new Captain America on Anne Campia. Look at this. Normally, Anne's hair is a little darker. It's a little bit lighter in this picture, but tell me that's, they did, tell me, look me straight in the eye, Marvel. Look me straight in the eye, Marvel. And you tell me, you guys didn't think, you know, John Campion's wife, Anne, she looks like a superhero. Let's model our new Filipino-American Captain America after her. I'm telling you, they just totally based the new Captain America on Ant. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yes. We were talking about a new anime show. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm probably not going to check it out myself. I, I myself am probably not all that interested in it because uh, I'm not a big anime guy. I, like, I'm into a bunch of the classic anime stuff, but, you know, I'm not, uh, like, you know, uh, my all-time favorite one is Space Battleship Yamato, a.k.a. Star Blazers, and, of course, Akira and all, all that kind of stuff. But, I'm not big into a lot of anime today, so I probably won't check it out. My wife, on the other hand, will definitely probably check it out. <laughs> it's like, I've got no doubt. It's Filipino characters. It's got Shay Mitchell doing the voice. Yeah, she'll totally, totally be down for doing that. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, man, from Manila. All right. Hear me out, John says. Okay. So, Shazam and Black Adam uh, are both now filming. They both are. What are the odds one of them po one of the post credit scenes will hint at a Shazam versus Black Adam movie? I really hope they face off one day because Shazam can beat The Rock alone. Because Shazam can't beat The Rock alone, uh, he would need Henry Cavill's help. Um, okay, right there. Um, no, no, Shazam can beat Black Adam. He can. 
Black Adam can beat Shazam too. I mean, uh, depending on the day. Um, I would listen. I'm not going to say a hundred percent. Okay. I'm not going to say 100%, but I will be shocked, shocked if we watch both Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods and Black Adam and one of them doesn't have a post credit scene teasing the other. Like, I'll, I'll be shocked if we see Black Adam and there's not some kind of Shazam reference in a post credit scene. That or we see Shazam Fury of the Gods and we don't have some kind of Black Adam reference or Black Adam thing in a post credit. I'll be shocked. So I'm not going to say 100% because we don't know. But I will be very, very surprised if we don't. Because obviously you're going to have Shazam and Black Adam meet up. Obviously, at some point. So since they didn't do it in the first Shazam movie, they got to do it in one of the next two. Whether it's Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods or Black Adam, I got to believe one of them will. Again, not 100%, but I'll be very, very surprised, man, if they don't do that. All right. Dark Knight Rises writes, hey, John, indecent proposal. There's one. That's the Robert Redford. I think it's Woody Harrelson. And is it Demi Moore? Anyway, not a lot of people bring that one up these days. Um, Hi, John. Indecent proposal's basic premise created a big stir in 1993. Now, in a culture with markedly more progressive slash tolerant values, is the question even still a legitimate topic of discussion? Where is the line now? That's a good question. I mean, that's really more of a sociological question than a movie question. But so look, for those of you who don't know about Indecent Proposal, um, it's it's been a while since I've seen it. So the basic idea is this. So uh, it's got like a Robert Redford, Woody Harrelson. I believe it's Demi Moore. I believe it's her. Might not be. Anyway, so the basic idea is this. You got this professional, uh, loving, married couple. They're both professionals. But then, and I believe that's Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore. I should look it up. Give me give me one second here. Because um, it has been, um, it has been a while since I've watched this. So I believe it's Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, and Robert Redford. And it is uh, absolutely... Oh, but, oh, Oliver Platt was in that too. I totally forgot about that, that Oliver Platt was in that. Okay, anyway. So you've got this married couple, right? And they're, they're professionals, they're, they do well, but then a recession hits and they start having financial problems. So they go to Vegas and trying to think they can win the money they need, but they get up even more financial straits. Ah, okay. So then comes along Robert Redford, right? Sly, sly, sly Robert Redford. And he makes an indecent proposal, which is basically, um, the notion is this. Hey, tell you what, straight up, uh, your wife is beautiful. So how's this, you guys? I will give you guys a million dollars. Solve all your money problems. I will give you guys one million dollars if I can spend one night with your wife. And both, I mean, obviously both you have to agree to this, but I'll give you guys a million dollars. Solve all your financial problems if I can spend one night, and yes, that means having sex with her, with your wife. And that caused this huge, I mean, I love movies that cause dilemma discussions amongst the audiences. What would you do? Like, like what would you do? Now, of course, for appearances, everybody 
wants to say, oh, no, I would never do something like that. Okay, yeah, you say that for appearances. But how many people would actually take that money? Now, you raise a good question here, um, Dark Knight Rises, saying that, okay, that was 93. That was almost 30 years ago. Oh, my gosh, was it that long ago? I guess it was. It was almost 30 years ago. And, yeah, society-wise, it was a little bit different then than it is now. People are a little bit more progressive now and have different attitudes and things like that. Would it be? I don't know, man. I still think if if Indecent Proposal were to come out today, I still think it would raise the bar really. I think it would get the, the barometer really going hot with a lot of people about what would you do? Because, you know, couples are still couples. And yeah, a million dollars is a million dollar, but... You know, are are you secure enough in your relationship that that could happen? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would. So you know what? Even though you're right, society is different. Things have changed. Uh, I think mostly for the better, but I still think that would be a real dilemma kind of question. I think that would still be a question that would get the audiences talking a lot. I really do. I mean, just as a funny side note, I remember we were talking because everybody knows like my, knows my big, I've had a number of celebrity crushes, obviously, like through the years, we all, all have different celebrity crushes as we go. But the one I probably, my longest term celebrity crush is probably Jennifer Garner. Most people know that, right? Uh, Jennifer Garner is my celebrity crush. And I remember one time we were, we were with some friends of ours and say, and like one of our friends said, oh, but Anne, what would you do if like. Jennifer Garner's, because we were talking about traveling or something. I can't remember the exact scenario, but it basically was like this. Oh, and what would you do? Jennifer Garner offers to fly you guys out to Paris for an all expense paid week in Paris with shopping and all that kind of stuff. But, but she's going to spend the night with John. What do you do? She goes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm packing for Paris. <laughs> anyway, um, obviously she's being a bit facetious there, but I think, yes, it caused a big stir back in 93. I think it would still cause a big stir today. I, I really do. I think it would still be a really, really big stir. And a lot of people would talk about it. All right. Next up, we've got Caleb who writes, uh, the 007 writer is talking from his ass. MGM slash Amazon only has a first right to finance slash distribute bond picks in exchange for, uh, broccoli getting total creative control. If they want to interfere, I'm sure every other studio would be lining up to make a bond movie now. Okay. So th th that's true but not quite exactly true. Now, one of the things that a lot of people have been missing with this whole Amazon getting MGM, and of course MGM is has parts of the rights to Bond and all that kind of stuff, is that don't forget the Broccoli family still has like creative control over Bond. They have a lot of authority over this property. They, they have never released the vast majority of control. However, it's also a little bit of a misnomer to say Amazon has no say in anything at all. That's also not quite true. But it is a really nice balance. It does balance itself out. So yes, people shouldn't worry too awful much. And you're right. I didn't I didn't agree with uh what, you know, the writer of Skyfall wrote about it saying, "Oh, now the, we're not going to see Bond have martinis anymore cuz cuz focus groups aren't going to want martinis." There is no evidence to support that of anything like that. It was all a slippery slope argument he was trying to make. And as you point out, a lot of the control of Bond still completely rests with the Broccoli family. That hasn't changed at all. So everything's going to be fine with Bond. Nobody needs to worry about Bond. Everything is going to be fine. You're right, Caleb. Everything's going to be completely fine with Bond. All right, next up, we go to Odin's Lost Son, who writes, 
Okay, quick curveball. Sony and Disney reach a deal to swap their respective rights to Spider-Man and X-Men. Hmm, who wins? Hugs friends. That's a good, you know, okay, look. So the biggest prize, I, I like questions like this because there's different ways of looking at it. The biggest individual prize, if Sony and Disney were to swap rights, the Spider-Man universe and the Fox and the uh, X-Men universe and Disney sent over the Fox. I keep saying Fox. They sent over the X-Men and all of its properties over to Sony and Sony gave back Spider-Man and all of its adjacent characters. The single biggest jewel and the biggest individual prize in all of that is Spider-Man. Clearly. I mean, that it's Spider-Man, but Sony would win that deal getting Fox or keeps wanting to say Fox getting X-Men because while Spider-Man is clearly the biggest individual character with X-Men and yeah, in that Sony universe, you have absolutely you have Morbius and Venom and Craven and, and others. Yes. But as a whole package, I just think there's way more you get if you have X-Men because X-Men entails a hell of a lot of high caliber characters. And we're not just talking Magneto or Professor X or Cyclops or Wolverine or Storm or what. I mean, we are literally talking dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of actually high potential movie quality characters you could very easily translate into the big screen. So while Spider-Man is the individual best one overall as a package, I think the X-Men would be the better deal. It, it reminds me a lot because I often get asked by people, John, what do you think is the better trilogy? The Captain America trilogy or Christopher Nolan's uh, Batman trilogy? And I kind of answer that the same way. The best individual movie out of those six is the dark Knight? I mean, it's all subjective, but in my opinion, the best individual movie out of all six of the films in question here is the dark Knight. But I think overall the captain America first Avenger winter soldier and civil war. I think that is overall the better package because while I also think the dark Knight rises is the worst of the six films. It's still good, but I mean, it's the worst of the six films. Dark Knight is the best of the six films and Batman begins is just very, very good. But I think all three of the Captain America ones. So I kind of answer it the same way. So yes, in this theoretical thing, Odin's lost son, if Sony and Disney swapped Spider-Man universe and X-Men universe, who wins that deal? Sony wins that deal. Getting the Fox X, the I keep saying Fox, the X-Men universe. Sony wins getting the X-Men universe, even though Spider-Man is the individual biggest prize as a full collective, you got a lot more options when you've got the X-Men universe. So I, I would say that that's just my guess. All right. Next up, Richard Coots writes one of three. Howard the Duck is one of my all-time favorite comic characters. I have a first-run print of Howard the Duck number one, wow, 1976, hanging on my wall. So I was really disappointed when the animated series got canceled at Hulu before it even aired. 
Seeing him show up in both Guardians of the Galaxy films gave me such joy. I really wish Feige would greenlit a new Howard the Duck film or Disney Plus show. Uh, do you think my dude Howard will ever get his due with a solo project in the MCU? Uh, or will he forever be stuck in that awful 1986 Lucas-produced film? Uh, listen, Richard, I feel you. I also have some things that I'm a very big fan of that aren't very popular. <laughs> Um, I, I believe me, I do. So I say this with a great deal of empathy, but no, I can't see Kevin Feige greenlit greenlighting a Howard the Duck movie. I honestly, listen, I, I think like a lot of the things I really like, I just don't think anybody would care. I don't, I don't think a Howard the Duck movie would do well. I don't think a Howard the Duck Disney plus series could do well. I thought if anything, what you were just talking about, like a Howard the Duck animated Hulu sh- that has possibilities, but as a Disney Plus show, nobody would care. As a MCU movie, it would instantly become the lowest box office gross movie there. Just nobody cares. And uh, I just don't think anybody would bother with it. So, no, I don't think we're ever going to see a Disney Plus show. Uh, maybe animated someday, maybe. I, I don't think we're going to see uh, an MCU Howard the Duck movie. Um, but maybe it'll go the Modoc, uh, Modoc route and get a Hulu thing one of these days. Maybe, maybe, who knows? I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, uh, Richard, though. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. All right, next up. Uh, Tacky75 writes, uh, you believe Steve Rogers and Tony Stark will return to the MCU. I 100% believe that they will. Uh, but here's my question. Do you think Thanos will return to the MCU? I think he may be returning to the MCU this year. But anyway, uh, do you think Thanos will return to the MCU? And if he does, will it be a prequel, example, an adaptation of the Titan Consume book, uh, or in a normal fashion? I think we're going to see him in Eternals. Now, I don't know that. I don't know that. But I, I think, and I have no evidence to back this up with. This is just me speculating. I suspect we're going to see Thanos in Eternals. I think we're going to see him pop up in Eternals. A younger version of Thanos, but I think we're going to see at some point in Thanos's um, flashbacks or of Eternals flashbacks. I think we're going to see Thanos. Now, look, Thanos is nowhere near as important to the MCU as you know Captain America and Iron Man. Thanos made quick little cameo appearances in a couple of little films, and then he was big in Infinity War and Endgame. Obviously, he was the big bad guy, but. Captain America and Steve Rogers are pillars, the two pillars of the MCU. Starting from the first movie with, you know, with Iron Man all the way through, it's Captain America and Iron Man. Like, so Thanos isn't nearly as important to the MCU as like those two guys are. So I, I wouldn't really compare them. But to answer the question, yes, I think we're going to see him again. And I think we're going to see him this year. Again, I'm not saying we are because I don't have any proof of it. This is just me speculating. But I think we're going to see at least a cameo of Thanos in an Eternals flashback in the Eternals movie. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, but I think that's where we're going to see him, Tacky. All right, next up, we've got uh, Jerry M. who writes, Hey, John, I'm sure every employer has hired certain people that they regret hiring later on, and some people they didn't really want to hire, but later were glad that they did. Uh, who would you, <laughs> who, who would you say you've hired over the years that fall into either of those categories? Okay. Um, look, yes, I'm not going to lie. There are people I have hired over the years 
that I have later regretted that I hired. Yes. And usually corrected the situation, but yes, absolutely. Am I going to sit here and name them? No, that's that's look, that would be totally like, I don't mind that you asked, but I hope you understand that that is completely inappropriate for me to answer. So no, I'm not going to answer that part of the question. I appreciate you asking, but no, I'm not going to sit here and name names and embarrass people. So no, I'm not going to do that. Lesser people do shit like that. I will not. Um, but now that you mention it, somebody who I didn't was, wasn't really excited about hiring, but later was really glad that I did. There is somebody like that. Now it almost doesn't count because I actually really wasn't the one that hired them in the first place. Okay. So here's the scenario. Okay. So it was the first time I was actually going to leave Collider. And I ended up, um, I had agreed Lionsgate wanted to have me sign on. Long story short, Lionsgate and Complex were going to enter into a co-production deal on a show that Lionsgate wanted to do for Comic-Con HQ. Because remember, Lionsgate got that whole Comic-Con channel, that whole, you know, uh, pay, uh, pay channel, that uh, subscription streaming service, Comic-Con HQ. And, but here's the catch. Lionsgate was only going to agree to do this show and, and hire Complex to be the producers of the show if I was the one running the show. And I had just said that I was leaving Collider at the time. And Lionsgate said, well, we're not going to do this show with you, Complex, unless John Campy is a part of it. So I ended up having to have all these meetings with Lionsgate's people and, uh, and complex people. Cause complex was the owner of collider at the time. And we worked it out cause I like the idea of comic-con HQ and we worked it out. Okay. I will produce and, and host and star in film HQ. It was going to be the name of the show. And the offices colliders offices that I set up, <laughs> Collider's offices, I would continue to use those offices as my base of operation for Film HQ. Me and my staff for Film HQ would work out of the Collider offices. And since they were all owned by Complex anyway. So they're like, cool, 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 cool. Okay, this is a long way of telling the story, but I think it's really cool. And it's all about Mark Riley. All right. So I was still there. And I was still doing movie talk at the time. I had let everybody know that I was no longer going to be working with movie talk at the time. And I was going to be no longer working with Collider per se. Um, and they needed to hire somebody on staff for something else, right? And it wasn't my decision to make anymore. Even though I was still there at the time, you know, I'm not the one who was going to be there in charge anymore. So I wasn't the one who's going to be doing the hiring. But I really emphatically argued that the guy they needed to hire was a guy by the name of David Griffin. You guys, some of you guys who've watched me for a long period of time may know who David is because he popped up now and again and he was on, I believe he was on TV talk for a while later on, but we had this full-time staff position opening up and it was no longer my decision to make who to hire because I was leaving. But I insisted to them that David Griffin was the guy to hire because David Griffin 
had been, and by the way, David Griffin is now like a senior TV writer um, over at IGN, and he's doing great. He just got married too. Like he's doing really well. David's doing great. But I had very animated arguments with, with Complex and the owner of Collider that, and other people who were still there, that the person they should be hiring is David Griffin. Because not only was David extremely talented and extremely gifted, but over the years, going all the way back to the AMC era, David Griffin had always been there for us whenever we needed him. He had been interviewed several times before for positions that ended up going to other people, but he was always loyal to us. Whenever we needed David for anything, he was there and he always did a great job and he was super talented. And I made an argument to, you know, you know, to, to, uh, Dennis and Mark and, and Christian at the time said, listen, David is the guy you need to hire David. David Griffin's the guy. Number one, because he's totally qualified and he's got all the gifts and talent. But number two, he has always been loyal to us. He has always been there for us. Whenever we asked him to do anything, he would come in and do it for us. Now there's a full-time position here. We need to honor that and you need to hire David Griffin. And to this day, I still think it would have been a great hire. But they wanted to hire Mark Riley. And it was nothing against Mark. I liked Mark. I thought Mark's a good dude. And I think he could do a good job. But I really thought that was a position that should have gone to Dave Griffin. And I was also, and also, I'm not telling you anything that I didn't say directly to Christian Harloff and everybody else there at the time. But I said, I'm a little bit concerned that with me moving out now, you're slowly trying to turn this into Schmoes No 2.0. And bringing in Mark, and we had already brought in a couple of Schmoes No guys. And now we're bringing in another one instead of a David Griffin. I thought it was sending the wrong message. Nothing against Mark Riley, but I thought it was sending the wrong message. So they decided to stick with the Mark Riley hire. And hey, it, you know, it, again, it's not like they were hiring some schlub, some talentless, you know, schlub who would just ruin the place. He was a talented dude, good dude, whatever. So that's fine. But I'll tell you what, Mark Riley ended up being, you know, because later I came back to Clyder to run things again and blah, blah, blah. And Mark Riley ended up being a completely invaluable part of that team. He really did. Now, I'm not saying I still don't think we owed it to David Griffin to hire him and that he would have done a good job. Yeah, I, I still probably do feel that. But they did hire Mark in my absence. And when I came back, Mark was fantastic. As a matter of fact, for a good period of time, Mark, when it came to movie talk, our show, not for the whole operation, but for movie talk specifically, Mark kind of became my right-hand guy. Uh, Mark and I would literally meet daily. Mark was the guy for me. Mark Riley was the guy for me who would assemble all the, the potential movie news stories that could be topics for the next day's movie talk. And then every day he and I would get together in my office. He would run down the list, make his recommendations. We'd, we'd pick the, which stories we're going to do. Then he would take those lists and go and start to confer with the other staff people about, okay, here's the graphics we're going to need and blah, blah. And he would kind of coordinate that part of it while I was still taking care of bigger picture issues. And he became a part of like a main part of our main writer's room as well. Mark Riley became a big, big part of our main writer's room. So in asking the question about, was there anybody 
that we hired on that I didn't feel so great about, but I ended up loving, it would be Mark Riley. Uh, I, I just thought he he did an incredible job for us while he was there, not only on the movie talk side, but in our writer's room as well, uh, being a creative there. He was always reliable. Uh, if he ever said he was going to do something, you knew it was going to get done. And that to me is like the most valuable asset of anybody that works with you. Somebody who they tell me they're going to do something and I don't ever have to worry about it again because I know without any question, it's going to get done. Because believe me, I've worked with people who say something is going to get done and then it doesn't get done and nothing drives me more crazy. Mark Riley, that was never an issue. He was talented. He was smart. He was reliable. And I ended up loving having him on that staff, even though I initially wanted them to hire David Griffin, who also would have been a terrific hire and went on to do great things at IGN. So yeah, for sure. There are people I hired that I regretted hiring, but we're not going to talk about them. But Mark Riley is the guy that falls in that category of, I was not thrilled with him being hired, even though it wasn't me doing the hiring, but I went on to be very, very, um, happy that he was there. He was great. Got nothing but good things to say about Mark Riley. Nothing but good things to say about him. Anyway, uh, next up. Uh, thanks for writing that in, Jerry. Next up, uh, we've got uh, Alexis Rosales writes. Uh, the other day, I watched a Korean movie called The Outlaws. Haven't heard of it. Uh, it was basically a Korean Guy Ritchie movie. Okay, now that sounds intriguing to me. A Korean Guy Ritchie movie sounds very intriguing to me. Uh, and I loved it. It stars Don Lee from Train to Busan and Eternals. I know you like Guy Ritchie, so in case you're interested, it's on Amazon Prime. You know what? I do. If you're telling me, first of all, yeah, uh, Don Lee... Uh, I'm very, very excited to see him in Eternals. I loved him in Trade to Busan. If you're telling me this is like a Guy Ritchie movie, but Korean, because Koreans, the Koreans know how to do some bonkers action movies, I may have to check that out. Alexis, thank you for putting that on my radar. I will keep my eyes open for that. Okay. One more question today, guys, and then we got to wrap it up because uh, I have some prior engagements I need to get to. Tron writes in. He says, I used to think Space Jam could make a billion dollars. Hey, look, first of all, time out. Don't be ridiculous. Space Jam was never going to get anywhere near a billion dollars. Ever, ever, ever. It was 0% chance. I will be shocked if it even makes half of that. I'm not saying it's impossible that it could make half of that, but I will be shocked if it even gets to half of that. I do not think... Space Jam is nearly as relevant or popular as some people in our circles believe it is. And, you know, maybe I'll turn out to be wrong about that. And that's great if I'm wrong about that. But Space Jam was never going to make a billion dollars. Like never, ever, ever, ever. Anyway, I used to think Space Jam could make a billion dollars. But after LeBron's performance in Game 6, I feel like the film's in trouble. Oh, no, that has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it at all. Uh, do you think the Lakers being out in the first round will affect Space Jam's box office? No. Also, who do you have coming out of the West now? Okay, so look. In the same way that even if the Lakers went on to repeat as champions this year, that would have had zero effect on Space Jam. I know a lot of people think it would. I really don't think it would have. Actually, I think somebody asked me that question. While like, if the Lakers repeat, I don't think that would have helped Space Jam at all. I don't think them losing in the playoffs affects Space Jam at all. Which, by the way, they won the title last year. Secondly, everybody knows that this was a hobbled and crippled Los Angeles Lakers team. LeBron's been playing the entire playoffs on a high ankle sprain, and... AD was out 
when they needed him the most. And you're playing against the number two team in the West in the Suns, by the way, who's had Booker going off like a madman and Chris Paul, even though Chris Paul was a little bit banged up with his shoulder, but he played lights out as well. I mean, it was what it was. I remember somebody asked me a few months ago, who's going to win the NBA title this year? And I said, a fully healthy Lakers are going to win the title again this year. But if either AD or LeBron are hobbled, then they don't even get to the Western Conference Finals, let alone to the championships, let alone win the championship. And they hobbled into the playoffs with both of them being injured. And it's like, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. And I think most people know that. So no, it's not good. So even if they won the title, I don't think it would have influenced the box office results of Space Jam at all. Losing in the first round when they were injured, I don't think that's going to affect it at all either. Who do I see coming out of the West? I mean, I know it sounds lame to say it because it's the number one of the number two teams, but it's either the Utah Jazz or the Suns. Don't forget, not only, it wasn't just that the Lakers were hobbled with AD and LeBron and all that kind of stuff. The Suns were the number two seed in the West for a reason. They were the number two seed in the West for a reason. They're that good. I still think Utah, uh, I still think Utah is coming out of the West, and I still think Utah is winning the title. I, I've, I've been saying that for a bit now. But um, yeah, it's it's either going to be Utah number one. If it's not Utah, it's going to be the Suns. And I know that. Oh, wow, John, you just predicted the number one and the number two team. I understand that, but still, I really do believe those teams. And by the way, on the East, it's a little more interesting. Everybody's saying the Nets are going to the NBA Finals. I don't even think the Nets are going to the Finals. I don't think the Nets are going to the Finals. As a matter of fact, I I mean, I think there's two teams in the East that beat the Nets. I think Milwaukee beats the Nets, and I think the 76ers beat the Nets. I, I I, mean, look, they're obviously very, very loaded, but I honestly think that the NBA Finals are going to be the Utah Jazz against the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, anything can happen, right? Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. But right now, my prediction is it's going to be the Jazz versus the 76ers in the Finals. So that's my take on that. All right, guys. Listen, there are still more questions to go here from uh, Chuck the Mystery, uh, Suthius, John DeMoto, and others. Do not worry, guys. We will get picked up on your questions on the next video that we do. But for now, that's all the time that we have for this one. Thank you for being here, guys, and joining us for this. A special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget to join us again for the next one. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.